Everybody loves chalupas. Everybody wants them now. If you really want chalupas, I'm the one to show you how. Chalupas, chalupas, yeah. Hey guys, this is sort of a surprise episode of the Rish Outcast, uh, but it should come as no surprise that I am Rish Outfield, your host. I uh, had sort of two different recordings that I didn't know what to do with. I was going to release one of them just as a, an address for my Patreon supporters. Uh, I'm still going to put this out for them first and with a little bonus on it, but uh, it's not too late for you to support me over on Patreon. Uh, anyhow, this is going to be two bits in one episode. In the past, people have showed some interest in when I do extra work for, for movies or TV. So uh, every time that I do it, I'm going to try and do a little report of it. And then also, I claim to be a writer and, and I want to put my stuff out there. And I don't know uh, if anybody is interested in that. There is one guy that really pushed me to get a Twitter account. And uh, he is pretty much my only friend on Twitter. Anytime like my voice shows up on a podcast or whatever, he, he retweets it, which is really nice. And I don't even talk about it on my own shows anymore. I, I do so much voice work for other podcasts. I barely mention it, but uh, I got another story assigned to me by the Escape Artists group this week, and I just recorded it yesterday, and it was another one of those where I made the mistake of doing one of the characters with a voice like this, which is fine in the one sentence that I said, but about halfway through the story, I was just coughing and uh, I had wrecked my voice. And uh, so, you know, I hope that they uh, appreciate what I do to be, you know, what it costs to be the greatest amateur voice artist around. I hope that you enjoy this episode. If so, please consider supporting me on Patreon or buying my book. And if not, I am excited about the next episode, the one that was supposed to drop right now. It is coming soon, and I hope that you are excited, too. Now it's time for Plugs at Your Heartstrings. Hey, guys, I got a commercial on this one. Uh, remember, we had announcer man on the Doonstief record a bunch of intros for us whenever we were putting out a book or a short story collection or something like that. And I'll bet I only used two or three of, of them, or even maybe not even that. Ah, well. But one of my goals uh, in, I, I would say, like 2020, 2021, uh, and 2022 was to get uh, my audio collection, Volume 4, put out. And uh, for a number of reasons, I never got it out. But I, I set it as a goal for this year just as well as the last two years. But this time I actually got it. And it was so much easier then I, I thought that it would be easy, of course, is a relative term, because 
every single file I had to make louder, take away background hiss, make louder again. Uh, it still was too quiet, so I made it even louder. Oh, now it's too loud. I'd say that took like three or four hours to get every single one in the sweet spot to where Audible wanted them. But I think the silver lining of that pain is that it, it should have no flags. It should have no problem getting through Audible's secondary uh, spot check, sound check, make sure that the, uh, the megahertz are where they want it to be. And so uh, I'm announcing that it is done, that, and, and you can go out and buy it if you would like to. And, and if you wouldn't like to, then don't say anything. But this one is called Who Can It Be Now? And Other Stories, the audio fiction of Rish Outfield Volume 4. And like the first three volumes, Gino Moretto was kind enough to do a cover for me. And um, this is the table of contents. We got an introduction, uh, all of it narrated by me. Who Can It Be Now? Radio Gaga. Too Much Information. Closet Case. Message to My Girl. Have It His Way, Walk of Death, My Funny Valentine, Dying is Easy, Skipping, Parent Teacher, White House Tour, Try Your Luck, Troubled Child, Secret Stash. <sighs> Sorry, I almost pulled into traffic not realizing that they had the green light and not me. Murder Town, One Mile. Z-Day Report, Mind Games, The Key Collector, Gatekeeper, and Remember the Future. That's a lot of stories, but some of those are very, very short. A couple of them are overweight drabbles. But as always, a couple of these stories are only available in the collection. You'll not find them anywhere else. And so... That's something that Big and I talked about years ago when, when we were talking about putting out collections of our stories. Wouldn't it be neat if you had like little, what did they used to call them? I guess bonus tracks or something like that. They'd have on import CDs, versions uh, from a different country. A lot of times it was Japan that would have a couple of extra songs that you could only get in the Japanese version or the import version. Boy, that seems like a long time ago that that was relevant, that that was something where you'd be willing to spend an extra $10 or something to get the version that had extra songs on it. And now every song imaginable is free. And the most you have to pay is sitting through a 15-second commercial. Anyhow, that is available now. Who can it be now? And other stories. And since I sort of got the hang of the Audible levels, what they wanted, because I, it did frustrate me when it would say, oh, now it's too loud, son. And I'd be like, but, 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 I, uh. but now that I know, I should just get right on to volume five. And I've talked about volume five for a couple of years because I asked Big Anklevich if he would write the introduction for it, and he said he would. And I asked him again, recently. Hey, are you still okay to do that? And he had no memory of saying that he would. 
but he he was up for it. He's like, oh sure, yeah, just just let me know when you need it by, and and that's nice. And I'll ask him to uh, record it in audio, and and so that would be fun. And that has a couple of stories on it that have been produced in audio and just been sitting for a while now because they were stories that Big and I had talked about together or he was with me when I came up with it kind of thing. I guess that's a lot of stories. But anyway, I will let you know when that one is available as well. Wouldn't it be great if I could get that one this year and a Christmas one? Oh boy, I have so many Christmas stories where I've done the audio, they're just sitting, but I don't use them in the regular collections because I've been saving them for the the Christmas one. Uh, and so, boy, it would be really cool if I could put out three this year. No promises, but I'm going to try. And now back to your regularly scheduled outcast. Oh, hey guys, I got another uh, boring story about being a movie extra today. It is uh, late at night and I'm just driving home from working on a uh, Christmas, another Christmas movie. It was a little under a year ago that I worked on that Christmas movie for the Hallmark Channel. And this year I worked on a Christmas movie for Netflix. And um, I had like a three-page agreement that I signed that I wouldn't talk about it or take any pictures. Maybe that's just standard for stuff today. But like, who cares about a direct-to-Netflix Christmas movie that it's impossible to spoil. Interlude 1. So I've said a lot over the years about what it's like to work on a film or TV project, uh, mostly as an extra because, except for the, the student films that I did when I was in college or times that I've been a stand-in or the one movie that I co-wrote that I got to sort of be a, an assistant director on, which was just a terrible, terrible experience. Um, and that, that movie never came out, and I never got paid for it. Which is the greater crime? I think that I didn't get paid for it, because whew, it was bad stuff. But most of my experience has been being an extra. And as far as that goes, oh my goodness, I have so much experience. As as this is something that I know. I could write a book on it. Part of me wishes that I did. I, I, I have all those blog posts and then memories of the ones that I didn't do blog posts. But it's, it's something that I know. And maybe you don't know what being an extra entails. And so maybe this is super interesting to you. Boy, I hope so. I have a friend who knows how the military works. I had a friend who knows knew how hacking and programming worked. I have a friend who knows all about the news, the, the, the television news. And they would hate it when we would be watching a movie that was about the military or about hacking or about the news. And they got the details wrong. They got it wrong and I would just be like ah, it's, it's, it's alright I had a friend who was a chemist and he would talk about science in movies it would just drive him up the wall 
And I'd be like, ah, just, just don't worry about it. But I'm a hypocrite because when I see a movie about making movies and they get the details wrong, it drives me crazy because those other things, they have the excuse of, well, we don't know. We, we, we've never been a doctor. We've never been an orderly. We've never been a hacker. We've never been a spy. We've never been a soldier, etc. But every single one of those people is in the film business. So they can't use that excuse when they get the details wrong. And the thing that just makes me insanely angry is when an, they're showing a movie about movie making or a TV show about movie making and an extra gets a line. That doesn't, uh, well, I almost said that doesn't happen. It does happen. But it's the stuff that dreams are made of, sweetheart. Every single extra longs for that situation, for that scenario. There's this famous story about, in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, I think it's Uhura and Chekhov are stopping people on the streets of San Francisco asking about where the nuclear vessels are. And uh, the extras were instructed to just, you know, shake their heads and walk on because you are not allowed to speak when you are an extra. And there was this girl who was being paid to be an extra and she was having all the, these financial difficulties and she so needed money that on like the second or third take, she just said, oh yeah, I think it's over in Alameda. She said it right there to Uhura and Leonard Nimoy said, cut, cut. And they talked amongst themselves and they decided, okay, yeah, we're going to keep that in. Let's do it again. This time we're going to mic the girl. And uh, she got a line in Star Trek for the voyage home. And they taft heartlied her into the Screen Actors Guild. And that's something that people talk about like it's the Holy Grail of, you know, there's such a thing as an extra that gets taft heartlied into the SAG where the film production gives you a line, they pay you a ginormous amount for that one line, and they pay your fees to get you into the Screen Actors Guild so that you are legally able to say that line. And uh, I, I know we, we always talk about what a grind it is and how, ter how terrible the wages are in filmmaking. But come on. The, the reason that it's so hard to make it as an actor is because there's so much competition and because the jobs that you get are few and far between. But if you get a line in a movie, you know, that's the kind of money that it would have taken me two or three weeks working to make. Anyhow, I'm sorry about all of this except for that it makes the episode longer and harder for me to edit. There is an exception to extras are not allowed to speak. Extras are allowed to cheer and clap and shout and sing and chant. So let's say that you were playing a protester in a movie and they told all of the protesters to say, hell no, we won't go. Hell no, we won't go. That is allowed. And they can say that you didn't get a line and you're paid as an extra. 
And there were episodes in Boston Public where we sang. And I, I, I remember they were having a sing. And I thought, well, how is this not a line? But it was explained to me that you're all singing and it can easily be replaced by something else, by, you know, professional singers or whatever. We still only have to pay you, you know, $49 for the day. And so that was something that I learned, but I felt like it was enjoyable. There was a pilot that I did and it didn't get picked up, but there were a bunch of songs that Elton John had written for this pilot. We were supposed to be at a concert and uh, you know how it is. It's all repetition over and over and over and over and over again. It is my mantra, my outfield's law come to life is filmmaking. It always takes longer than you think it will. And you do it over and over and over and over again. And so by the time the cameras turned on us, on the cheering crowds, my little group and I knew the lyrics to the song. And we sang along to the song. We knew the words. And one of the assistant directors or something came over and said, how do you guys know this song? And I said, because this is the 60th time that we've heard it today. And he goes, this is great. Get, get, guys, do that again. Like you, like you love this song. Like you've known it your whole life. And so we did another take where we all sang along. And I thought, wow, maybe I'll end up on this show. That'll be really cool. But of course, nobody ended up on that show because it didn't go anywhere. Basically, I got this gig last week and they're still super paranoid about COVID and I had to drive 55 minutes, almost a full hour to get a COVID test and then two days later was the shoot. The day before the shoot, I got a negative result for my COVID test. Uh, <laughs> But also on that day, I got an email that the shoe had been canceled. So I drove into the city, which actually burns a quarter tank of gas for nothing. Then a couple of days ago, I got an email and said, hey, uh, they've rescheduled it for this week. Can you do it? And I emailed back and I said, yeah, sign me up as long as I don't have to drive to the city for another COVID test. And uh, I guess enough people complained that they had a COVID test just here, where I live. And the shoot, uh, part of the reason that I signed up for it was because it was in the town where I went to high school, where a lot of my so stories take place. Uh, in fact, the shoot was in the park in the town where I went to high school, uh, what I call Shenugana Park in my Princeton Chronicles stories, and I think that's cool. I mean, it's a place that I know intimately. I used to go there all the time with my family and later with my friends, and now here I am with no one. But uh, this week ended up being really, really cold. On Monday, we had a snowstorm. On Tuesday, it rained all day. On Wednesday... It was just cold and windy, uh, but today it was overcast and, and not not particularly cold. 
but it was a night shoot, and um, I'm freezing now. My hands are just <laughs> still just icicles, and I'm very glad that I wore layers. They told me to, because like I said, it's a Christmas movie, and so I had a long sleeve shirt on, and then I had a jacket on over that, and then I had a winter coat. And I said, do you want me to wear the winter coat or, or just have the jacket? And they said, no, you put on the winter coat. You're going to need it. I didn't know what that meant, but they did. The thing that is interesting is that it was a night shoot with kids. And I had experienced that only once in my whole life. In Hollywood, I think that that just wouldn't fly they'd have to pay like insane penalties or whatever, or maybe the law would just say, hey, you can't have kids out after a certain hour. But this was non-union, and, uh, it, well, the state is non-union, and, and you can pretty much do whatever you want. But it wasn't just, you know, like teenagers. When I say kids, it was actual children. And I... I can't judge. I'm not going to say that I'm more moral than someone else. But it doesn't seem moral to have kids out, you know, after midnight to the middle of the night. Interlude number two. Boy, I, I, I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to. One of the reasons that Hollywood is so stringent, so strict about the rules, about child labor and how many hours you can be on the set and what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do is because people have broken the rules in the past. And there was a crew member who fell asleep driving home after a 14, 15, 16 hour day and died, crashed his car and was killed. And from that point on, they made this rule that crew members are always to be given at least eight hours between being wrapped, okay, you can go home, and needing to be on the set the next day. And this rule throws producers' schedules right out the window. They hate it because you, you expect to be on the set again tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning. But if you went until midnight or so, then you can't. You're not allowed to. And in some cases, as far as like night shoots go, it's even longer than eight hours because they want these crew members to at least get some sleep. I mean, dude, it's not worth your life. And then the other thing is that years ago, in about 1982, might have been early 83, there was a film production that was doing a night shoot with children, and it was a dangerous shoot involving a helicopter and the lead actor and two child extras were killed by the propeller of this helicopter. And it turned out, you know, that the kids were not legally supposed to be there. And um, this should have been avoided. And, and, and you probably know that this was Twilight Zone, the movie, and that the director was John Landis. And um, the actor was Vic Morrow. Because of this this tragedy, this senseless tragedy, they are so, 
so assiduous about working with children and about how many hours you can work and about how long into the night kids can work, about having a studio teacher on the set, about using twins, using triplets, about not keeping a child out in the weather, certainly not putting children in a situation that might be dangerous. Basically, if you are working with a child, you're also working with, I don't want to use the word wranglers, but essentially that's what they are. People whose job it is to be on the set and make sure that the children are being looked after and coddled and protected. Same thing with animals. There's always somebody from, from the Humane Society that's there to make sure that you're not kicking your dogs, that you're not uh, tripping the horses, you know, that you're not uh, open mouth kissing the orangutans. And it's one of the main reasons why the old dictum is never work with animals or children, just because it's that much more difficult than just working with regular actors. Basically, it was a Christmas uh, pageant performance, nativity-type thing that we were doing there in the park, and they had decorated the whole park up with Christmas lights and decorations, and they had put white tarp over all of the grass, and then they put fake snow on the tarp, and that worked really, really well, because even as the fake snow was melting, you would see white underneath. And so that was cool. There was all sorts of Christmas lights and decorations. And uh, this was interesting. They had a donkey, a sheep, and a goat there for, like, you know, the birth of Christ. And uh, the goat consistently went, meh, meh, which I'm sure just played havoc with their audio recording. Anyway, there there was a big group of us, and um, for the most part, people were really, really cool and understanding, and, and I, I guess as I get older, my patience for this sort of thing is going to shrink, and eventually, one day, I'm going to be like, no, you know what, I don't want to do it anymore. But it, it really did test our endurance, Basically, I was sitting in the stands in the audience for this pageant, and um, next to me was a little fat boy with a huge vocabulary. Well, you know, he's one of those kids who's a little too smart for his, his age or his size, and then his mom was sitting on the other side. And this kid uh, <laughs> was difficult. To say the least, I, I really felt for his mom. It's hard for somebody to make me feel more sorry for them than for me. But I certainly did. I felt for this poor lady. His name was Joey, and she must have said, Joey, 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 hey, Joey, 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 uh, about a thousand times over the course of the night. He, uh, I guess was rambunctious, maybe that's a good word for it. Spoiled rotten, maybe another. But he didn't want to sit still, and part of working on any film project is repetition. 
doing it over and over and over and over and over again, but trying to bring the same energy to it that you'd have on the very first take. It gave us props. I had a, some Christmas presents that I was carrying around when I was walking and then when I was sitting. Uh, I just set them on the seat next to me, and they gave this kid prop popcorn and said, hey, don't eat it. It's not uh, edible. It's a prop. And he found out the hard way that they had put, like, hairspray on it or something. That they had sprayed something on it so that it would stay fresh. Then uh, a prop guy came out at one point and he handed out Christmas hats. Not to everybody, but to the people who didn't already have beanies or hats or really elaborate hair. There were a couple of black ladies that had just that really awesome braided hair where there's just like 400 braids and they go all the way down. And those people, they didn't cover up the hair with with hats. But for me, they handed me a uh, Santa hat and then they gave me a green Santa hat for the boy next to me and I handed it to him. I don't even know if he put it on. He, he just complained to his mom that he didn't want a green one. He wanted a red one. And uh, eventually she flagged down the uh, prop guy. Said, can we trade this for a red one? And he's like, what? But he did it. Then the prop guy left and the kid tried to put on his hat and his head was too big for the hat. They had given him a child-sized hat instead of an adult-sized. And so he bitched about that. And I got up and grabbed another adult-sized one from the prop man and brought it and gave it to the boy. Anyway, he put it on and we started filming. And a few minutes into the filming, he told me he wanted to trade hats with me. Now, you got to understand, I'm a stranger, a creepy bearded stranger. And he said, trade hats with me. And I said, why? I got, I got you a bigger one. And he said, yours is fluffier than mine. And I didn't take my hat off to look, but I just sort of shook my head. And he said, trade the hats with me. Will you trade hats with me? Can you trade hats with me? Will you trade hats with me? I need you to trade hats with me. I want to trade hats. Can we trade hats? Will you trade hats with me? Let's trade hats. And finally, I just shook my head. And yeah, just to be honest, I think I scooted a couple more inches away from the boy. And then he turned around and looked at the girl that was sitting behind us and said, your hat is fluffy. Trade hats with me. Will you trade hats with me? Can we trade hats? And she said, okay. And so she took off her hat and put on his hat. And I, and I guess that's, that's fine. I, I, see, I understand if you're listening and saying, Rich, you, you need to grow more patience. Kids can be difficult. But we were there on that bench for hours. And after the hat trading incident, he spent, I'd say, 70% of the rest of the time that we were sitting there crying. He would complain and he would tell his mom that he wanted to go home, that he was bored and he didn't like this and I'm tired. I don't want to do this. And he cried. And she would say, Joey, Joey, shh, 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 Joey, Joey, it's all right. Here, put your head on my shoulder, Joey. Close your eyes, Joey. And that's not acceptable, guys. 
I don't care how much you love your kid. There were dozens of children there. And the only two that were crying were the two-year-old that was there that was the daughter of one of the actresses and her husband had brought the kid to say goodnight to her or whatever. And they said, oh, hey, let's put her in the shot. And after a few minutes, she started to cry and they're like, oh, okay, well, that was a bad idea. And this fat kid. I was really impressed with some of the child actors and just, you know, the, the, the child extras because they made it fun. They, they played, they seemed to all be friends or uh, pretending to be friends. And, and I thought that that was really cool and they were exuberant and it made me raise my game. If that's the correct way of, of putting that, uh, I, I wanted to be more excited and smiley and into the performance because these kids were making it look like they were really enjoying themselves. Uh, basically, it was a, a pageant and, and, and uh, people were singing and, and uh, they sang Santa Claus is coming to town over and 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 over. And uh, it was really strange to hear it so many times. And, and these kids that were like clapping and singing along, they seemed to love it. And that made me like those kids. That made me admire those kids and think, you know, it, listen, if those kids can be into this and not complaining and laughing and smiling, then you can too, because you're an adult and you should be tougher than a bunch of kids. So they were the diametric opposite of, of the, the little kid next to me. The mother should have just gone to one of the ADs and said, can we go home? Probably. I've got to take him home. Anybody could see that the kid didn't want to be there. And um, eventually those two were wrapped before the rest of us. And once they were gone, I just scooted closer to the little kids on the aisle. And um, I was able to see firsthand how, how well these kids did. But again, child labor laws say you can't have kids out after a certain hour. And apparently that doesn't apply here. But I, I am impressed that it was cold and it was miserable and it was repetitive as F. And these kids pulled through. That, that, well done, children. I had a paperback book in my coat pocket and I read until the very last chapter. I, I only have like six or seven pages left. If I had been just a tiny bit better at reading it, I would be done. But a lot of people didn't. They had their phones. I think that that was fine. And we were told not to take any pictures, but so many people did. And people took selfies and people took pictures with the actors. And that was interesting to me. Again, this isn't Los Angeles. So who cares? Go, go get a picture with the star, dude. Good for you. Um, sorry, I didn't mean it to sound so hostile. The, the movie starred the second lead in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, the second lead in the second Austin Powers movie, and 
the actor who is famous for f***ing a pie. I, I, I don't know why I'm mincing words. I don't know. It's, 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 it's called Best Christmas Ever. And it was directed by the director of Pet Cemetery, which I thought was pretty cool. And I really would have liked to have talked to her about Pet Cemetery. There, there was a moment when I did say hello, and I, I considered, I, I, said, I was going to say, did you ever have nightmares from Pet Cemetery? I was going to ask that. I thought that would be a good question. And then I wanted to ask her about Fred Gwynn, and if that was a difficult bit of casting, if the studio had a problem with that, if, if they were worried at all. That it's like, well, we've cast Herman Munster in this very, very serious part, probably the most important part in the whole movie. Anyhow, uh, I didn't. I didn't get to. Uh, but if I get booked on it again, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely try and talk to her. I, I've said it before, and I will continue to say it every single time I do one of these things. I love film and filmmaking, and I get a thrill when they say, pictures up. And um, I understand that it's not for everybody. No exaggeration. Probably a hundred times Santa Claus is coming to town tonight. It, it, it was like doing a music video, except for we did other scenes that weren't just that song. But I, I had a good time with it. And the performers seemed to be having a good time too. And, and that is cool. When the spotlight is on you, you can make it all about you in a negative way, or you can make it all about you in a, I'm a cheerleader, everybody look at me, I'm having a good time, thank you so much for being here, sort of way. And that's, that's just great when people do that. It was interesting to see the way that child actors behave. The, the, they're all precocious, they're, they're all little adults in the way that they talk and the way that they act. And I, I just, I remember working on a kid's movie, like a Disney, made-for-TV Disney movie, and the, the little actress was probably like 11 or 12, and she spoke like a middle-aged casting agent, you know, one of those ladies with a long cigarette, and she's like, oh, honey, I've seen it all. You, you, you have no idea. That kind of thing. And that's an exaggeration. But she, she did say the F word a few times, and I just was surprised by that. I told Big Anklovich that night, I told him what she had said. And he's like, how old was this girl? And I was like, uh, younger than your daughters. But except for the kid next to me, everybody was super professional on this set. And uh, I felt affection for them. I know that that's weird, but we were all, we were all suffering because it was cold and we were tired and we'd done it a bunch of times. And those park benches were uncomfortable. They had decorated them with fake boughs or whatever you would call them, you know, uh, um, like Christmas tree branches and then ornaments. And so these had ornaments on the back of them so you couldn't lean back. You had to lean forward the whole time. And after like the third or fourth hour I didn't care anymore. And I just leaned back <laughs> and these ornaments would like poke me in the back. But, you know, he's like, I don't care. It's more comfortable than maintaining a straight up and down back. And yeah, the, these kids sang Santa Claus is coming to town over and over and over again. Like they loved it. 
And early, early on, they were just clowning when we were doing rehearsals and stuff like that. And a kid, a, a little kid was up there and she started singing Let It Go from Frozen. And remarkably, everybody around me, all the kids started singing it too. And they, they all shared this cultural touchstone. And that was really, really neat. And then the little girl, after the applause or whatever, you know, after finishing, you know, the cold doesn't bother me anyway, did that song from the second one that Marshall Latham... You mean the Marshall? The Marshall Latham is so fond of singing. I, I can't remember. It's like Into the Unknown or something like that. It's, it's, it's actually a pretty good song, but I, I only remember the... The, the, the thing, the, the call and answer yodeling or whatever you would call that. And that one, I was surprised that most of the people knew the words to that. But I did not. I can't even tell you the name of that song. Frozen 2 is not memorable to me in the way that Frozen 1 is. Uh, but I'm digressing. Anyway, after the little girl had had her time in the spotlight, <laughs> there was this dude... <laughs> And it's like, okay, now it's going to be my turn. But he was not a child. He was like a 25-year-old dude, and he was playing one of the wise men. And he decided that he would be center of attention. And he's like, everybody doing all right? I can't hear you. How y'all doing tonight? And, then, and I, I, I devolved into a, a lower primate, into a chimpanzee, and I wanted to hurl my feces at him. He did it multiple times. He, he would say, look at me. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. He would try and shine the spotlight on himself. But he was just an extra. Do you understand? There's a difference between... One of us, one of the, uh, the hoi polloi, you know, one of the plebes, one of the serfs, we don't get the spotlight on us. You know, the child actors or the talent, as they call them, you know, they have lines. They have lines that memorize. They get multiple takes. They get coverage. We're, we're lucky if we're even in the shot once. And so to see this guy, and he just kept doing it. Yeah, I, I wanted to take him aside and say, you know, you're embarrassing me and the people like me. That's probably a sanitized thing of what I wanted to say to him. I... I uh, like I said earlier, I'm getting older and my patience for this sort of thing, I guess, is diminishing. The thing is, when you've got little kids, you should shoot all of their stuff first. You get their coverage first. You get the kids' shots out of the way first. And then you can send them home. And then you have the adults do their bit. But the martini of the shoot was... A bunch of little kids singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That is something that they could have done at 7 o'clock instead of 2 a.m. But, you know, I am a backseat driver, a Monday morning quarterback, whatever you want to say. I, I'm not the director. I'm not the filmmaker. I just, just feel like that that's the way that you should do these things. And because that's the way that things have been done in the past, I've seen, I've been on countless productions 
the, the people in the line were talking about the other films, the, the other projects that they'd been on. This this guy in the line behind me was was boasting about it. And it was interesting. He named off like four or five movies that he had worked on as an extra. And I had worked on every single one of those. <laughs> Sorry, I, I guess I'm tooting my own horn. I'm just saying I have done this more than anybody I know and I defy you to find somebody that has done this as much as I have, because most people know better. They learn. Anyhow, I, oh, I, I, that was the point I was trying to make. I, I've been on a ton of productions, and I know how you do these things. When you've got somebody that is old, when you've got somebody that is very young, you get their stuff out of the way first, because it's just courtesy. And, and also, you know, it's just that is the way that things are done. The deal with child actors and the reason they use twins most of the time is because it is limited the amount of time that you are allowed to have a child on the set. And it is required that there are teachers on the set to give them some kind of school scenario. And, and yeah, that neither of those things happened on this. And it's just, it, it's puzzling. But I guess that's why they shot it here and not in Los Angeles. Or Toronto. Anyway, I realize that this has been pretty complainy. Sorry, and I, I, I meant for it to be interesting, and maybe it's not. And mostly I wanted to say there was a guy who was famous for f***ing a pie. <laughs> uh, well, that made me laugh. I'll, I'll leave you with your regularly scheduled program. Uh, okay. I, I know I've been talking and talking and talking, but that's what you pay me for. I'm going to let you go. But again, if this stuff is interesting to you, let me know because I have a million stories. And then I, I heard interesting stories from other people that had interesting stories. And that stuff is always cool. I tend to run into the same people. And on this particular shoot, I ran into the dude that I hung out with that day in the sweltering heat where the poor lady fainted and um, <laughs> the filthy extras were not allowed to go into the shade because that's where the principal actors were allowed to go to. And I saw him and he saw me and instantly it was like, I know you, we both went through, th we both went through that together. That was that Hallmark Christmas movie from last year about the sisters it is an interesting line of work. I, I wish that I were a little bit better in reporting them to you. Because I got to be a stand-in on a reality show competition thing a few months ago. And I didn't get to work on the actual program at all. I just got to be in the place of the person who was working on it. So that they could figure out how the lighting would work, how the cameras would work, how to do it on the day when they're actually doing the competition. It paid really, really well. And they fed us probably the best food I have ever had on a film shoot. Maybe I did talk about this. If I didn't, shame on me. So that's it. Thank you again for listening to this Frankenstein hybrid of a couple of bits. I thank you for listening. I hope that you have a good evening. Be well. This is fake Arnold Schwarzenegger. Normally, 
fake Sean Connery handles the uh, license part of our show, but Rish told him he couldn't do it after saying that Rish Outfield should be released under a Creative Commons license because he is also free and no one could sell him and no one would take credit for him, not, not even his own mother. And, and say, hey, Arnold, what are you doing? He uh, also changed uh, attribution to uh, masturbation. Dude, I, I told him he couldn't do it so he wouldn't say those cruel and true things about me. Well, he didn't. Oh, and instead of share alike, he said share look alike. <laughs> Thank you, fake Arnold. So the, uh, the Rich Outcast uh, is released under Creative Commons uh, Attribution 3.0 um, share-alike license. You cannot sell it or claim it as your own, but you can download it and uh, share look-alike it if you want to. Okay, that's enough. How did I do? Pretty good, actually. They were gangly, adolescent rogues with too many ribs showing. They were gangly, adolescent rogues with too many fubshi beginning. They were gangly, adolescent rogues with too many ribs showing. Trey, shut up! Trey, shut up! Trey, shut up! Trey, shut up! Shut up, Trey! Shut up, Trey! Shut up, Trey! Names that rhyme with Jason. Here is information from Rhyme Zone. Asen? Grayson. Explanation. Yeah, that's not a rhyme. I should have just gone with Jason. Someone who trained birds to talk. Someone who transferred old 8mm and VHS movies. Someone who trained birds to talk. The guy who answered the phone at drug treatment hotlines. Someone who transferred... <clears throat> the person who transferred old 8mm and VHS movies to digital... The person who transferred old 8mm and VHS movies to digital. To digital. A children's book illustrator. It's a reptile. They're meat-eaters, vicious by nature. It's a reptile. They're meat-eaters, vicious by nature. They're meat-eaters, vicious by nature. Like the kids in the 70s that had baby alligators as pets and flushed them down the toilet where they bred out of control in the city sewers.